leaving teams, I say, my hope is that you guys hire me. I come in, I do a bang up job. I get you exactly where you want to go. And then you never need me again because you realize that it's like Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz. Like you had the power all along. All you had to do was open your mouth and say what you actually knew to be true. That's a Leslie Riley, facilitator, speaker, trainer, but mostly I think of her as someone who was always creating space for more. She started her career at West Point, graduating to flight school and becoming a Chinook helicopter pilot. I love her insight that we can't wait until it's safe to use our voices. Speaking up makes your environment safe. She joins me this week, just having completed an adventure in Ecuador in the Amazon rainforest, where she asks herself the question, am I living a committed life? Lean in as we explore. I'm Fanola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. And I say this every time, I always have these great guests because I really handpick them. And today I have a dear friend that I haven't spoke to in a number of years. And, and you know, sometimes you meet people and they leave a mark on you and you connect. And we took part in a mastermind program a few years ago where we all had to challenge our thinking about stuff, expand, expand our views on stuff. So we were quite vulnerable in the space together. And I really got to know her. And I think she really got to know me. And she is the lovely Leslie Riley, who is a leadership facilitator, speaker, trainer, ex-West Point, helicopter flying, amazing woman. Welcome, Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> I hope well, I can live up to that intro. Uh-huh. I was like, I, we've got to talk about I the did, helicopter. <laughs> because I know it's old. I know it's oh, old. But it's really cool yeah. that you flew Chinooks. Tell us that story. Because the other thing about that story is that journey that you had and what you learned from it. And you did a, a TED Talk on it. And I think it's a really valuable uh, thing to share with everybody. Please do. Yeah. Yeah, I it's funny. It's it's so old that I just um celebrated my 25th reunion at wow. West Point last fall. So <laughs> it's been a hot minute. So yeah, I I went on vacation with my parents one summer and my dad wanted to visit the Naval Academy and I was, you know, a good teenager and did what all teenagers are meant to do. I pouted about it and said this is stupid. And he said, "Okay, well you can come on the tour or sit in this hot car." And so of course I went on the tour. And as I was watching the summer training happening, I looked at my mom and I said, there's girls in there. And she's like, yeah, there has been for a while. And I said, well, could I do that? She said, if that's what you wanted to do, I'm sure you could. And so from that day on, I knew I wanted to go to a military academy. And I spent my high school years going to programs at each one and ultimately decided West Point was the original. It was the first. It had a lot of you know presidents that graduated from there. Um, and... I I got in, I got my acceptance, I went. It was everything I hoped for and also the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, right off the bat, um, 
I knew I wanted to be part of something bigger. And so I, that's kind of what drew me there was like this, this, you know, family feeling, this brotherhood, this like fighting for what was right. And um, on my first day, I remember there was a guy in the room next to me and I could hear him arrive. And I thought this guy's going to be in my squad. Like, this is where it begins, <laughs> man. Like, this is my squad mate. I'm going to go help him get settled in. So I braved the hallway where the upper class were certainly going to yell at me if they saw me. And I knocked on his door and I went in and I helped him set up his old room. We made his bed and folded his clothes. And I was feeling so good. Like I'm doing it. I'm doing my purpose. And as I put my hand on the door to leave and had one foot in the hallway. So he knew I was committed because if an upperclassman saw me and I wavered, I was going to get yelled at. He waited until that moment. And from behind, he yelled, just so you know, I don't think women belong here. (laughs) And that I was like, wait, what? Like, I wanted to like, look at my watch and be like, my man, like, it's been 18 years since they signed that law into legislation. Like, you were born after it became a thing. Like, how did you even think women didn't belong here? Your whole life, it's been law. So I think that was like, the seed of like, what planted some things for my future about like, oh my gosh, it takes a long time for thinking to catch up Mm. to law. So that was like an interesting moment. That didn't occur to you when you, because I would have immediately assumed conventional, traditional, military, conformist. I mean, you're not conformist. This is the thing I know about you. And it never occurred to you. No. Wow. I, I saw women in there. So I was like, women are there. That's a thing. And my mom, to her credit, did try to like, she used to be like, let's do a reality check. And she would air quote the reality check, like reality check, you know, and it's going to be hard. And there was, um, there was a book out at the time called In the Men's House by Carol Barkalow. And she read it and she would tell me these stories. And I'm like, oh yeah, but that was a long time ago. And things are gonna, yeah, it'll be hard, but I can do it. Like, And so she tried to like plant those seeds, but I didn't realize that it would still be people on my first day saying, you don't belong here. I thought it would be, you know, at least a, a week, a month. Like, I don't know, <laughs> I'd have to prove I didn't belong there. It wasn't just me showing up. So yeah, it, it, I think I was just wide eyed and thought, you know, I could, if I worked hard, that would be enough, you know, I'd prove myself. And it just, sometimes it just wasn't enough for anyone or everyone or whoever I thought was going to be accepted. And you went along with all of this and I, and there's a story that you tell in the TEDx talk, which I want you to, to share, which is this idea of you're a liability, not an asset. Hmm. Yeah, so I I graduated from West Point and went off into the Army. Um, And because I did fairly well, I got my first choice of branches, which was aviation. And so I headed to flight school. And, you know, if you get into West Point, you're pretty much a type A overachiever, usually getting straight A's or, you know, doing very well. So I went off to flight school and um, I really struggled. It was, I was challenged. Sometimes it, I wonder, like, was this a woman thing too? Like some of the pilots that taught us were like Vietnam era guys that had retired from the army, but were still civilian instructors um, and could be a bit harsh at times. Um, but I ended up failing a couple of check rides, which are tests that kind of assess your flight skills and your abilities. And I had to go in front of the battalion commander of the flight school and he was gonna decide whether or not I got to stay in flight mm-hmm. school. And so I'm standing outside his office and just kind of like, you know, 
I'm sure everybody's been in a situation where you're waiting for some news and it's like, my heart was racing. I was sweating. I felt a little dizzy. Like I hadn't eaten all morning. Um, and then I get called into his office and it's like, just like you've seen in a movie, like a big wooden <laughs> desk and he's wearing his uniform. He's all imposing looking. And I'm just like, uh, this like, you know, 20 something little girl, like hoping that he doesn't kick me out. Cause how embarrassing would it be to have to tell everyone like I failed out of flight school. Right. So I'm standing at attention in front of his desk, waiting for him to tell me the, you know, fate of my future. And he's, you know, Stein was my last name back then. He's like, Lieutenant Stein, I've decided to let you stay. And I had this huge sense of relief wash over me. Like, oh my gosh, he's not going to kick me out. I don't have to tell my parents I failed. Like, thank goodness. And I think that's why what he said next was such a shock. Because as I'm feeling this wave of relief, the next words out of his mouth were, but I sure feel sorry for the unit that gets you because you're a liability, not an asset. Now get out of my office. And I didn't even have time to think. I just was like, I'm an, a liability, like question mark. Only it probably at the time wasn't a question mark. It was coming from a very senior officer to me. It was like, I'm a liability mm. period. Like it was probably more like that. Mm. And how did you recover? And yeah how did I recover? A lot of different things. I mean, it, I, that was, what year was that? Like 1997 or 98. Uh, and I got out of the army in 2004. And I would say it was another five years before I ever started to think of myself as any kind of asset to a team. So it was a, a good solid decade of carrying that around with me. And um, I love, uh, I, I love also the story that how you, reached a point where you just reckoned you didn't care anymore. So you're actually going to use your own voice. This is the piece that I'm wanting to lead yes. to because so many people stay quiet about their passion, about their, what they wish for in life, what they standing up for themselves. Yeah. And I just love how you came to this point and spoke up. Yeah. So that was the, I would say that was like the beginning of the healing where I started like, oh, wait a minute. So um, in the army, for those that don't know, you get an annual evalu evaluation called an OER. It's like a re performance report. And they always save the good ratings for the officers that are going to stay in. If you say that you're getting out of the army, they're not going to waste one of their force distribution like A's on you. They're going to give it to someone who's staying because it's going to help their career. Um and so once, sorry, just a question for you. Is there a limit to the amount of A's? Yeah. Oh, really? Oh yeah. It, I don't know what the system is now, but it used to be forced distribution. There was only a certain amount of A's and it stayed, that amount stayed with the rater who gave them. So like he didn't want to burn them all at one assignment either. Like it was a very weird system and, and you know, you always knew only one of your peers or maybe two would get the top rating. And the majority of people would kind of get the middle and you had to be a real dunce to get the low rating. Like that didn't happen very often, but there was a forced distribution of, there was a limited number of A's. So wow. it couldn't be every officer got the A, even if they all deserved it. Yeah. So I always had that in the back of my mind. So never said I was getting out until I actually was. And at that time I dropped my paperwork. So everyone in the unit knew I was leaving and at that point, I felt there was like a weight lifted from my shoulders because I didn't have to play the game anymore for the good grade. Like, I'm leaving. I'm getting the bad grade. It's assumed. And so why not just do what I want? Like, I've 
know, like, so I had about six months where I could kind of test the limits. I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but looking back, it was absolutely what I was doing. It was like, can I really be me now? Like, I don't have to, I'm still wearing the uniform and doing the job, but can I be more essentially me? And so the way that looked was, you have to remember, like at the, this was like the early 2000s, the army was still very male dominated. At that time, I'd only ever had one upper level female commander. And she was from that first class of women at West Point. So I knew she was tough as nails. Um, and so she actually, I remember this was at my last assignment. She showed up wearing like lipstick, red lipstick to a thing. And I was like, you can do that. Like, she's so feminine. Like what I'd never had an example of leadership that was feminine. It was always, I was trying to imitate the guys. So once I dropped my paperwork, I'm like, well, I'm going to just be more girly. Cause that's kind of how I've, what I've missed. And so I started bringing fresh flowers to my office. I put a tea kettle in there so that I could have cups of tea if someone wanted to come and sit at my you know, little table that I had in my office and chat. I had um, copies of like People Magazine and Us Weekly and just, you know, just stuff that people could like look at and decompress. Yeah, it wasn't that, I think that's also important. It wasn't just to be girly. It was creating a safe space. Do you think you were doing that consciously or you just wanted to take a load off or, or did you just want to be girly? I, well, I don't know. Yes. I think I just wanted to be me and I don't think, I knew exactly what that meant, but like yeah, okay. it had been labeled girly, right? So the flowers and the kettle and the magazines were absolutely creating a safe space, but I didn't know those words yet. I hadn't mm. taken a coaching class or a facilitation course to know that an environment could invoke different behaviors in people. I just knew I liked it. I'm like, what do I like when I go home? <laughs> I like the flowers and my tea and I want to read a magazine and just kind of, ugh. so that's what I brought to the office. And then I would go to the staff meetings and I, instead of taking the little green notebook that everyone was issued, I started taking these like pink notebooks and feather pens, <laughs> like ridiculous, like puffy, <laughs> really ridiculous pens. And like the commander would just shake his head and he's like, what do you got, Captain Stein? You know, and I'd go, well, this week in the personnel office and I'd, you know, give my update. Um, and what I found was, like you said, I, it created a safe space. And so all of a sudden, what had my office had been kind of, I didn't know, had like this invisible barrier. And so people wouldn't tell me stuff. But then once I put in flowers in a tea kettle, they couldn't stop telling me stuff. I'm like, did you guys know that this was going on? Like, so all of a sudden I was more tapped into what was going on. People felt safe to tell me problems that they needed addressed. And, and so the colonel came in one day from across the hall. You got to remember this guy still outranks me by stuff pay grades. Um, he comes in, he's like, I have this great idea. And he starts telling me this idea. And I said, well, he's like, what do you think? And I believe he was looking for yes, sir, great idea, but it wasn't a great idea from what I heard. And I said, well, actually, I think there's some things I would change. I do this differently and this differently. And I'm as I'm talking, I'm watching his face and his jaw is dropping and his eyes are getting wide. And all of a sudden, this little voice in the back of my head's like, hey, man, he's still like, sign your paycheck. Like, you still report to this guy. Like, and I'm like, oh my God. So I stopped talking, and there's this awkward silence. Like, I have created this really awkward silence. And I expect him to like come out of this silence with like a roar and yell at me. And instead, he quietly leans in and said, tell me more. Yeah. So it was a real, I think. That was, and I didn't know it then. I probably didn't even realize it until you said it just now. I told it this way in the TED Talk. But like that probably was the, oh my gosh, I'm an asset. Like 
he just, he voluntarily asked for more of my ideas. I'm not a liability, but I didn't have that going on in my head. It just was like, oh, so I just told him more of what I was thinking. And so I was super fortunate to have that. And I, I love sharing this story because I think a lot of people are still in the place where I was before I dropped my paperwork. It's like, I still got to play the game, man. I still got to get the evaluation. I still got to have a boss that signs my paycheck and likes me. And so they don't ever test the limits the way I did. But what I know is that I did it there and then I had that experience. And so when I went into my corporate jobs following the army, I was like, well, why wouldn't I do the same thing? I'm Now I'm like starting to build the same, like maybe I have valuable ideas they haven't thought of. And so I would push back more on bosses, not disrespectfully, but like from a place of, hey, I have this mm-hmm. idea that I think will make us better. And so I would say no, or have you thought about this? Or what if we did this instead? And it worked. And people in the corporate world thought I was crazy. And they're like, you can't just say no to your boss. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not saying no to be stubborn. I'm saying no, because I want us to be better. And that's different. Mm. Mm. There's another quote that you have, right? There's an assumption. So I'm just paraphrasing something uh, on one of the videos. There's an assumption that the environment has to be safe to be who we really are. But speaking up makes the environment safe. The environment adapts to you. I just love that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Because, and that's what happened Mm. in that moment with the Colonel, right? I said, actually, I think there's a better way to do this. And the Mm. environment adapted to me. So I, I don't know, like I spent a lot of my life waiting I don't know what signal I was looking for that the environment was quote unquote safe, but I never got it. It was always like, just play the game, play the game, hold it in, you know? And, and then every time since when I speak up, that's the thing that starts to create the safety that then Mm. has other people speak up. And so I think that's probably what led me into the facilitation field and what I love doing most, like I'll speak, I'll train you, I'll do other things. But what I really love is when someone says, Hey, I have a team. We're not talking as well as we should, or we have a really difficult conversation we need to have. Can you help us have it? Because I know that if I come in and I start saying the things that people are like, yeah, somebody actually said it out loud, that that's what creates the safety for other people to go, well, I have a piece of the puzzle too, or you didn't know this about the thing. And the more of us that do it, the more everyone's voices get heard and it's better. Exactly. Exactly. So now I feel like it's that's my career is to be that first one to do it, to say the thing that makes the environment safe, but I can't be everywhere. And so I'm always leaving teams. I say, I, my hope is that you guys hire me. I come in, I do a bang up job. I get you exactly where you want to go. And then you never need me again because you realize that it's like Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz. Like you had the power <laughs> all along. All you had to do was open your mouth and say love what you actually need to be true. So I also want you to share the crazy story because I always think of you as someone who, one, is creative, two, is an adventure, and also, yeah, test the limits, which you've just kind of talked about. But now you've got to tell the Wonder Woman story. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This was like a crazy pinnacle. So there is a long period of time in my life where people – associated me with Wonder Woman. And who's going to turn that down? Who's going to be like, no, please don't, don't think of me as a superhero. So I just embraced it. And like people would send me gifts and, you know, all sorts of fun things. And so I, I was teaching a facilitation class. So this is the class where I go out and it's a four day experience. 
I don't even teach it anymore. It belongs to a company I don't work with anymore, but it's amazing. It's called the Effective Facilitator. And you learn three days of skills. And then on the fourth day, you videotape yourself facilitating the whole class doing something that you've created. And so I had been talking all week about pushing your boundaries and doing things that scared you and taking a risk in the way that you facilitate because environments are so bubble wrapped that people are, are bringing like a millimeter of what they actually have within them, you know, like 2%. And so you've got to really pop a lot of the bubbles. And sometimes the way to do that is to show up with a splash or do things that you're a little scared of. And I, I knew as I prepared for that final day, I was like, I can't ask them to step outside their comfort zone without role modeling what that looks like. And my comfort zone's pretty big. So I've done all the things, like those are now in my comfort zone, the things that I'm asking them to do. But I was like, what's that? What's outside my comfort zone? And I had packed in my suitcase this running outfit that looked like it was a Wonder Woman running outfit. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to put that on under my business attire and I'm going to strip down to Wonder Woman and be like, be the superhero facilitators. You can be. So I, I knew it was pushing my comfort zone because as I got closer to the building and I was like pulling into the parking lot, I'm like, this is effing crazy. Like I can't, this isn't even my material. Like someone has trusted me with their material and I'm going to do this. Like this doesn't make sense. But I knew I had to do it. So I get in there and I like strip off my clothes and I'm Wonder Woman underneath. And just like with the Colonel, it was like crickets, right? Like everyone's just looking at me. And then I see this one hand like reach across the desk for their cell phone. And I'm like, if you guys want to take pictures, now's the time. And so everybody's like, click, 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 click. And I thought this is either going to get me like an award or end my career at this place. And so we get through the day and I cannot tell you, Fanola, like these people were like heroic in their facilitation. They were amazing. They, they just swung, went all out, like swung for the stars. And at the end of the day, when they did evaluations, every one of them gave the class and me as the instructor, a perfect mm. 10, which had never happened before. And so I did in fact wow. win an award Bravo. from the company. Bravo. <laughs> experience. Um, but then this is what happened. This was the interesting thing. They're like, can you do that Wonder Woman thing again? And I was like, no, because then it would be a gimmick. And it, it only worked because it authentically scared me. Now that I know people like it, like now it doesn't scare me. It would just be gimmicky. So I never did it again. It was only that one time. Um, and and I, it's interesting. How do we keep pushing our boundaries and doing what's scary so we keep growing and inviting other people to do the same? Um, I think that's what led me to do other crazy How often things. do you ask that question mm. of what do I need to do now that scares me? Because you've now become extremely uh, accomplished at pushing that comfort zone. So are you continuing mm. to push the comfort zone? Do you, what's the, what's the conscious approach to your own growth now? Yeah, that's such a great question. So I just finished reading a book not that long ago called Living the Committed Life by Lynn Twist. And I might have the the title slightly off, but Lynn Twist is definitely the author and it's about living a committed life. And I'm reading it. And this woman, if you don't know of her, she is super inspiring. And um, my first life coach had sent me her original book, which is called The Soul of Money, which is another fantastic book years ago, like back in maybe 2008, 9, 10, somewhere in that realm. So I'd read that book. I heard her speak a few years later. She was at a conference I was attending and she just... I remember her coming on the stage and she didn't have notes. She didn't have like a prepared speech. She had a little video she wanted to show us. And then she talked about 
her personal experience and why this work that she was doing mattered to her. And so she was one of the co-founders of this thing called the Pachamama Alliance that is doing the work of saving the sacred waters of the Amazon region, like the sacred headwaters of the Amazon. And I just remember being so compelled by her and thinking like, wow, like she's really, she's not, she's not going from a script, right? This is crazy. This is before the Wonder Woman thing, but I knew she was just standing in her power and her authenticity telling what her story of what mattered to her. So fast forward to a couple of months ago, someone tags me in a post about a podcast she was interviewed on. I listened to it. I'm weeping at her stories. I asked my mom for the book for my birthday and I got it. And four days later is when my dad passed away. And so I had started the book and then I stopped the book. And then I read a whole nother like fiction book just to escape while I was, you know, doing the celebration of life and planning all that. And then I, I got back into this book and, um, that morning when I, that I had started reading again, my daughter had shown up talking about pink dolphins and she was like, did you know there's pink dolphins? And I said, I did. They, they live in the Amazon. And I saw them when I was in Brazil and I had been on this trip in college and I thought, well, what a weird thing to talk about. So later that night I'm reading Lynn's book and the whole time I've been reading it, I'm like, am I living a committed life? Like, am I, am I doing what I meant to be? Am I serving enough? Am I helping enough? Am I using my skills enough? And her commitments are huge. I mean, she's just like, I'm trying to save the Amazon or end world hunger. Like these are the two main things she works on in her life. And so I'm like, you know, I'm just trying to get through the day. Like after losing my dad, I'm just trying to make sure my, you know, kid Mm. got fed and bathed. (laughs) So I'm at a much lower level of commitment, but that was all I had at the time. Right. So I'm reading the book and it mentions that there's these trips to Ecuador And I thought, that's interesting. I didn't know that her company did that. So I immediately open up my laptop. This is like 11 o'clock at night. There's no reason I should be on my screen. But I'm like, Ecuador trips. I look it up, Pachamama Alliance. And I start looking at a sample itinerary. Like, I just pick one. And on day eight, eight eight is like a big number for me. So I was like, of course, it was on day eight. It's like, if we're lucky, we'll spot the pink dolphins as we go upriver to visit such and such. And I was like, what? And so... In that moment, I was like, I don't know why, but I'm meant to go on this trip. I like that is too specific and weird of a sign. It wasn't just dolphins. I could see dolphins anywhere, pink dolphins. And I woke up the next morning and I told my husband, I think I need to go to the Amazon. As and you do. He was super supportive. He's like, Yeah, you got to follow dolphins to the Amazon, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and my mom was like, you should go now. Your energy, it's here now, do it. So I booked the next trip. So I found out about the trip on February 19th. I talked to someone like on the, we did a Zoom call and I found out some details and I booked on February 26th and I had to leave on March 15th for the trip. So I had to like buy everything, pack everything. Like, do I need shots? Do I need, like, what is it? So I had to figure all that out and I did. And I think that's like, I've, I've, stripped down to Wonder Woman on stage. Like I've done the big things. Okay. I ran a, a half Iron Man. I ran a 50 K I've done the physical things. Um, I've, you know, done silent retreats. I've done, I've done spiritual things. So now all that's left is these little things that we often ignore. So for me, it was a whisper. I mean, it was the faintest whisper, pink dolphins. And other people might've had that experience and been like, you crazy if you go on this trip. Um, but I, thought I'm crazy if I don't go on this trip because there's something there for me and I don't know what it is. Here's a question. Trust. You trust it. I, I, from my own life, every time that I, if I make a shift in my life, in my business, in my life, 
there is a moment where it's this empty handed leap into the void where you just have to trust. There's nothing else. There ain't no net. <laughs> you just have to trust. When are you like that? Also, when does that come? When do you when do you trust the trust? You know, talk a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, I think that's a constantly for me emerging thing. And, you know, the people close to me would accept the answer, like, I'm following pink dolphins to Ecuador. Like, I don't even know what's there. Um, Other people, it's really interesting. And the guide was so good at preparing us for this. He's like, you have to, you're going to want to talk about this trip and you're not going to know how because it's been so deep. You've been, I, Fanola, I packed my cell phone into a suitcase that got stored in a little town called Shell. And then I got on a tiny eight person plane and flew to the depths of the Amazon without my cell phone. And I did not touch it again for 12 days. I can't tell you the last time I went 12 days without touching my cell phone. I don't think it has ever happened since I've owned one. Were you asked to leave it behind or did you consciously choose it? I I consciously chose it. I got like a little digital camera. A lot of people brought their phones and just used them as cameras. There was no cell service or Wi-Fi, so I wouldn't have had access to those anyway. But I also didn't want to like look at old pictures of my daughter or play a word game or any of the thousand other things that are available to us on our phone, even when it's offline. So I took my Apple watch and my phone and I locked them away. I literally had no idea what time it was. And I just followed the signal like, oh, it's time to eat. I saw people moving towards dinner. Oh, people are walking that way. Let me put on my boots and go that way. Like I just did what was asked of me and I let go of everything else. And I got to a place where like, I haven't even accessed that place ever. I don't think I, I was having a hard time even writing about the experience. And I started doing it in poetry because just regular bullet lists weren't making sense. And like writing in my journal was like, what is this even saying? Like, so I reached this place of depth that I, I have noticed that since I came back into the very busy modern world, I have not written one poem and I loved writing them while I was out there. So I'm like, what, what happened to that? And how do I bring some of that back into my life? And I'm still questioning that, but the trust thing, I like, I mean, it goes back to like, I have to be the one that steps in and brings the trust to the environment. I'm the only one that can say this whisper means something to me. Like the universe has like a coded language for each of us. So I can't tell you what to listen for. I can only tell you what I listen for and how it works for me and hope that it's a little piece of your puzzle and that it helps you listen differently to the the whispers in your own life. So that's kind of, I, I'm, I kind of just caught, it's funny. I, I had an instructor once tell me like, man, you like lean all in from the beginning. Cause it was this like ropes course and you had to like lean into a partner and like lock hands above the head. And he's like, I've never seen anyone who didn't like buckle their knees or put their butt out. Like you just went boop and you were there from the beginning. And so I think it's a little bit innate in who I am to do that. Um, and sometimes, you know, the other person isn't ready and I fall on my face. So it's <laughs> like, it's not without um, danger. But the majority of the time, like me leaning in makes the environment safe in all the ways that I could possibly lean in. So for me, the trust, it's like turning it off is what Mm. makes things go wonky. Just leaving it on unless there's a real obvious sign I shouldn't is what makes things go well. Are you seeing more of a connection to the universe as time goes on in your work and in your life that it becomes more acceptable to speak about things like this and not just more acceptable more 
critical, you know, more fundamental, this idea of trust? Like, do you teach yeah. that as a concept of, yeah. you know, not trying to rationalize it to to introduce this this kind of language in your work? Are you finding that? Yeah. So I've been using this story several times in the last couple of months, and it's something that happened years ago. Um, and it's I think it's about trusting the environment, but I've been labeling it as listening because I feel like sometimes people have a wonky relationship with the word trust. And so I just talk about listening. Um, but when I first moved to Las Vegas, I had two cats, Laverne and Shirley. They are named after, a, you know, old, I think you know who they are through by your laughter. So <laughs> look them up if you don't know. So um, Laverne got sick after I moved here and ended up dying. And I was devastated because she was my little furry soulmate. And I remember I was new to Las Vegas and I was mostly traveling for work. So I was rarely here. And I was driving around and after she died and I thought, I just want a sign that she's okay. And I was lost trying to find my way back home. I had taken a wrong exit on the highway. And, and so I, as I'm like circling around trying to find my way home, I look up and there's this giant billboard, plain black with big white letters. And all it says is meow. <laughs> and I was like, Fabulous. well, that's very oddly specific. And so I thought that would be a great thing to share. And I talk about looking for signs and how every, you know, there's signs out there for everything. Panola, I looked for days and I couldn't find this sign. I don't, did I imagine it? Did I not know where I was? I like, I, and then I tried, I like looked it up on Google meow billboard. Couldn't find it. It was just nowhere. So years go by and I'm on a date because now I'm a, now I'm a crazy cat lady with just one cat and I'm trying to like not be a single crazy cat lady. So I'm on a date from match.com. Thank you very much. And, um, this is like a third date. So it's gone fairly well with this guy and I really like him. And we're in the car driving out to this little town called Good Springs to go have lunch. And this story pops into my head. And I was like, nope, not telling that story because it makes me sound a bit loony. I got a sign from God that I couldn't find later about my dead cat. Like, no. So we get to lunch. We're having our burgers and we're having a great time. The story pops into my head again. And I'm like, thank you. I said no. Goodbye. And I push it out of my head. And finally on the drive home, it pops in for a third time. Now at this point, I'm like, the story has like worn me down. It's like, I want to be told. And I was just like, fine. I don't know why this story keeps popping into my head, but I'm going to tell you. So I told him the story about the cat and the sign. And then I stopped talking. And again, <laughs> this is a theme in my life. I realized in the stories, dead silence, <laughs> awkward silence. Oh God, what have I done? And every time this awkward silence happens, something good comes out of it. So in this case, I'm sitting there and it feels like an hour, but he finally, he like makes a funny little adjustment in his head and he gets a little smirk on his face and he says, <gasps> I have a picture of that sign. No. <laughs> yeah, you didn't see that coming either. Neither did I, right? Like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, shut your mouth. What? And he goes, yeah, I took a picture of it for a friend of mine. I'll send it to you when we stop. And so he looks through his phone and sure enough, exactly the sign that I was talking about and he sent it to me. And so now I use the picture and I tell that story and I was like, what would have happened? I mean, how sad if I had never told him that story, that little whisper in my head that was like, tell the story. I mean, it's three years after it happened. He's like, not your husband though, is he? It was so bizarre. There's so many reasons. Oh, why I should... That would have been really no, good. No, he is not my husband. My... <laughs> that would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. He ended up moving. So it wasn't that we didn't <laughs> like each other. It just didn't work out. He had to move. But, um, but yeah, I, so that's the thing. It's like, I had to trust something enough. And I don't know what it was. Did I trust myself? Did I trust our relationship? Did I trust the voice in my head saying, tell this story? Like there was so many things 
So I think a lot of times we're, when it comes to trust, it's, that might not be the right word. We're just not listening. Like that story wanted to be told and trust probably is what gets in the way, but like we've, we've stopped trusting to the point that listening also went out the window with it. We don't even hear those whispers anymore. And we have to retune ourselves to hear them because I think the magic of the world is in whispers. It's not loud shouts. I also have to share with you, you know, because you started talking about poetry that more and more my clients are accessing poetry to get deeper messages out there. And, you know, when I grew up, you know, poetry was kind of relegated to the side because it didn't, you know, couldn't understand it or, and I don't know, maybe it's because I was younger, but I'm I'm not getting that sense that it's because I was younger because I find that the deeper truths seem to be coming forward more in poetry. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I was shocked, like how much I enjoyed writing it and how much I could access things that just regular words weren't doing for me. Um, and I, it's, and so it's funny, like, um, you know, your truth shared, I feel like is such a way, like when you share your truth, you come alive, right? It's like, we're, if you hold it in, it's, there's a kind of this like weird filter or some kind of block that keeps your aliveness from flowing. And I think it's a secret that a lot of successful people know. They're like, I just started being more honest. I listened to the whisper. So I listened more honestly and I spoke more honestly. And I think that's what it is. And so can I share one of the poems with you oh, that I wrote? Love to do. Please do. Please. This, this one um, was on the way home from this trip to Ecuador. So after, you know, 16 days away and like, this was kind of, I feel like the pinnacle of what it was that I, that I got out of this trip. So like, ultimately for me, this is what I, um, I walked away with. So it's called unblocking aliveness. So many of us think that feeling alive comes from doing, producing ambition and drive. But what if we slow down and just let ourselves be? forgetting what I want to tap into the we, letting life in by releasing control, having it all by letting everything go. With nothing to prove, no need for defense, aliveness flows freely, it only makes sense. Life is unfair, it's a lot to forgive, realizing first we must die and then we can live. Mm. That's powerful. And for me, yeah, I just, I think we have to let a lot of things die before we can be fully alive. What other people think of us, what we think of ourselves, what we should and shouldn't do. It's like all these like rules. And once we let that stuff go, that's where the aliveness happens. Once we follow pink dolphins into the jungle or strip down to Wonder Woman on a stage, like then the good stuff can begin. What a lovely message to leave people with. I normally ask, but I don't want to. I want to leave everybody with that because it's so beautiful and so important. Mm. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about Leslie, check her out on LinkedIn under Leslie A. Riley or her website on leadlikeagirl.com. And if you'd like to support the show, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and reach out and let me know your takeaways from this episode. What would you like to know more about? Send me a message. Have a great week.